for this month's Healing 101, we will be marking Women's Mental Health Month by speaking to some incredible female therapists in various different medical fields to give all of you listeners an insight into the wide array of help there is out there. Hopefully these conversations will encourage women to consider the factors that influence their mental health and how they might be able to make some lasting positive changes. You might also learn some valuable health tips along the way. On today's Healing 101, I'm joined by Laura Hans, also known as the perinatal psychologist. Laura is on a mission to empower mothers and to remind them how important it is to nurture and care for themselves, as well as for their children, by focusing on their own mental health and well-being. She supports mums and mums-to-be on their journey to and through motherhood. Having a baby is a huge transition and can be overwhelming and soul-destroying at times. But Laura is one of those brilliant people whose aim is to guide mothers through these feelings and out the other side. Can you start by telling us about your own experience with postnatal anxiety and why that prompted you to doing what you now do? Yeah, of course. So I had my first child 10 years ago and after she was born, I was just so anxious and I just needed some support because it was such a shock to the system going from working full time and studying and everything to being at home with a baby and being completely responsible for that person. So I I just felt like I was just worried, like, is she breathing? Is she okay? Am I parenting her in the right way? Am I making the right decisions? And it was like my mind just was really busy with worries. So I ended up being referred for CBT myself. And it really, really helped me. And that's when I thought, do you know what? I want to train in this because I wanted to help other mums how I'd been helped, basically. So that was the start of my journey into becoming a therapist. And how were you helped? I think one of the main things that did help me was that one of the things we do in CBT is looking at what do you do in your day and what things help to kind of feel like you're living in accordance with your values and you're doing things that you enjoy and when we become depressed what we do in our life changes or when we become anxious what we do changes and if you think about it when you have the baby your life does change and your activities do change because you can't do as much of the things that you valued because you've now got to look after a baby and do different things do you see what it means so I suppose I wasn't going out as much with friends. Um, I think I was the first out of my friends. No, I was the second out of one of my friends to have a baby. So most of my friends didn't have children. So that meant that, you know, they kind of were still up for going out clubbing and that kind of stuff, whereas I was not really up for that. So that was the kind of stuff that I looked at, which was, you know, how my life had changed and how what I did with my life changed. And when I started to add in things that I really enjoyed doing or that I valued, I didn't have as much time to sit and worry about things. So that was really, really helpful for me. And I'm interested, how did your anxiety present itself initially? Was it just constant rumination and feeling like you were missing out and worrying that you weren't being a good mom? What was its presentation? I think that, all of that, and I watched a documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, Danny Dyer, there was a documentary, mm. you know, um, yeah, she's she's pregnant with twins now and she um, was talking about anxiety and when I watched that I could really relate, it's just like your head is just busy with 
Am I enough? Am I feeding her enough? Am I stimulating her enough? Am I playing the right things? Am I helping her develop in the way that I want her to develop? Am I spending enough time with her? Is she bored of me? You know, all of these things that just feel like they just swirl around your head like all the time. And then that also affected my sleep as well because I felt like my mind was so busy. I found it quite hard to switch off. And when you've got a baby, you need your sleep because babies wake up a lot and you've got to get up in the night and feed. So the lack of sleep then fed into more worry and anxiety. So that was a little bit of a vicious cycle, to be honest. Yeah, and I can imagine, I I just don't know how mothers cope with the sleep deprivation. I mean, I'm assuming that hormones kick in and, and that's what really gets you through. But the sleep deprivation must be a major side of the mood swings and, and dipping into depressions. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, they use sleep deprivation as a form of torture, don't they? So it just goes to show that the impact that it can have when we don't have sleep. And even now, been a mum for 10 years, and even now, if I haven't had a good night's sleep, I'm not in, you know, I'm not my best self. I don't perform at my best for my children or for work. So I think sleep is really, really important. And when we don't have it, it can intensify some of the anxiety or mood stuff that we feel anyway. So how do you now help mothers who are struggling with postnatal depression or postnatal anxiety and trauma? I mean, I know those are all quite different things, but if we could maybe go over each different one and how you help them. I think they all kind of like relate. So I will go by what the mother needs. My kind of ethos is that when I sit with her and I listen and validate and just hear her and support her, she is then in a better place to look after herself but look after her children too so I would always go by what does the mother need so I might have a client who needs some strategies to help with anxiety management like I did you know we would spend some time looking at what's the problem and to use some evidence-based strategies to manage those if I've got someone that doesn't necessarily want to learn strategies they just want to be heard they want to tell me how difficult they're finding things and they want to be listened to, then I would provide that space to meet that need. If it's a trauma-related issue, then quite often trauma isn't resolved by talking about things. We need to go back to what led to the trauma, what was the event that happened and how we can help the mind and body process that experience. And I use a therapy called EMDR therapy, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. So I'm trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR therapy. And I would probably use a mixture of both depending on what the client needs. So in short, we've um, explored in the podcast what EMDR is, but I think listeners will find it really helpful if you could just summarize how you help someone struggling with trauma using EMDR. EMDR is literally my passion because I think a lot of things that I see in practice is linked to trauma. Um, So I might have someone that comes in that looks like a worry or an anxiety problem, but actually when we look back, what happened to you? When did you start to become anxious? What what were you going through in your life? Quite often there is an overwhelming experience that's happened to that person that has then led them to become more worried or anxious. Let's say, for example, it's a birth trauma. We would look back, you know, what happened to you? 
and how has that affected your belief system? How has that affected your body and your emotions? And EMDR therapy really is about helping the mind and body to work through and process all of that material that has become stuck in the system. Because essentially, when we go through an overwhelming or traumatic experience like giving birth, sometimes it can be experienced as overwhelming. When our system is overwhelmed, the brain kind of just doesn't really process experiences as it normally would because it's prioritizing your survival and keeping you safe. And what essentially happens is that those experiences or memories become stuck and unresolved and they can then feed into current symptoms and problems like depression, anxiety, worry, flashbacks, nightmares, those kind of things. So we would go back to the birth trauma and we would reprocess that experience. And once that has been reprocessed, you would tend to find that the current symptoms and problems that that client presented with have either been eradicated or they have completely lowered in intensity. And that's essentially how EMDR works. So it's it's a very powerful therapy. And when you say birth trauma, Laura, do you mean would a mother who's experiencing trauma around motherhood and postnatally essentially have had a traumatic birth herself or would she have had an adverse experience in her early years with her own mother and sort of abandonment issues, detachment issues? I think both. Um, so I've worked with mums who have had a really healthy upbringing with healthy attachments to their caregivers and they've had a relatively stable life and they've gone on to develop birth trauma as a result of their birth experience. And I suppose with that example, EMDR is quite quick and the chances are we would it would be resolved quite quickly. Whereas um, for clients who having a baby triggers their own issues of how they were parented, it tends to link back to a lot of past material. And, and that tends to mean that we need to work more on the material that it links back to. So it could fall into both of those categories. A client could fall into both of those. And what I tend to see more of, if I'm completely honest, is the latter, is that people who have had really difficult upbringings or they haven't had their needs met consistently or often enough for them to thrive and grow and develop in in a kind of healthy way and having a baby really brings up a lot of unresolved feelings about their own childhood yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I think it's not really widely spoken about actually postnatal trauma. Yeah. And I think as well, when we talk about birth trauma, I think there is still this big kind of idea that birth trauma is, you know, if the mother thought she was going to die or thought her baby was going to die, which absolutely that falls under the umbrella of birth trauma. But what I see more often than not is how the mother was made to feel as part of the birth experience or how the partner was made to feel because partners can experience birth trauma. They can witness their partner going through a traumatic birth and then themselves can develop birth trauma. But it can be the way they were made to feel. So, And I think as well now, this is a whole other area, so I'll, I'll try and keep it to a minimum, but the maternity system is just on its knees at the moment and midwives are so exhausted and stretched and they're sometimes not able to offer the care that they would want to give because of how stretched they are 
And that can sometimes mean that the way they are dealing with birthing people is different and that in itself can then be perceived as traumatic by the the, the birthing person does that make sense absolutely no I mean I've had uh, several friends who have turned up to hospital and you know they their contractions have started and they're pretty much sort of eight nine hours away from giving birth and they've just been sent home and told to come back when you're so three four hours away from giving birth which for your first child doesn't instill you with a huge amount of confidence and it doesn't do much to allay your fear really yeah absolutely and I think lockdown has absolutely intensified the difficulties that are going on in the system and yeah, I, I think, you know, birthing people, birthing alone and stuff like that. So there was a huge impact, you know, in lockdown of um, people having to give birth, you know, or people, for example, if they're giving birth after a loss or after a miscarriage and they're having to go in alone, their partner's not allowed in with them until a certain point. All of that has had a big impact on on the way the birthing person has experienced their birth, which has then led on to them to feel like they've got unresolved feelings about it. It's actually just made me think that if you've had IVF and you fought for several years to have a child and there's you feel that there's so much resting on your ability to you know have a healthy baby do you find that a, lo- a lot of women come to you who have had fertility treatment and who are just you know, their anxiety is so heightened because of what they've been through to have a baby a hundred percent yeah I think that there is also a big pressure I think on mothers who have gone down the IVF route because they really want that baby and they've gone through so much to get that baby and then when the baby comes and it's a bit like I really really wanted this but it's really really difficult and there can be lots of feelings around that that I I wanted this but I felt guilty that I'm finding it difficult and that in itself can feed into lots of self-criticism and blame and that kind of stuff so yeah absolutely Are women who have previously struggled with anxiety and depression prior to getting pregnant and giving birth more susceptible to developing issues around postnatal and birth trauma and anxiety? I think so, because if you think about when you're pregnant, your hormones are significantly altered. So that in itself can be something that can intensify pre-existing mental health difficulties but then think about the social changes as well so body changes relationship changes routine changes like the ones I was talking about with my own experience they can all I suppose play a role in activating previous stuff so I definitely think there is an increased risk and I'm pretty sure I don't know what the stats are but I'm pretty sure there'll be a statistic on the likelihood you, you might be to develop anxiety or depression in the perinatal period if you've already got pre-existing anxiety and depression so yeah I think unfortunately it is more of a risk but the good thing is is that there, there is lots of support there's obviously the perinatal teams there's the talking therapy service in the NHS and midwives and health visitors can offer support within that time too so it's not really bad news if if you're you've got pre-existing mental health problems and you become pregnant you know because there's support out there hurt to healing has partnered with brown advisory to bring you this podcast brown advisory a global investment management firm is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission.
I've heard very mixed things from girls who have suffered with eating disorders or body dysmorphia in that postnatal period or, you know, even while pregnant. What's been your experience of treating women with eating disorders and, and how that often presents in anxiety or depression related symptoms after giving birth or whilst whilst pregnant? So in my practice, I work more with disordered eating as opposed to eating disorders. And I know that sounds like it there's probably not much difference, but clinically an eating disorder is something that would, would be diagnosed, clinic there would be a clinical diagnosis. And there's more of a need for a kind of multidisciplinary team approach in helping mothers who are pregnant who have a history of an eating disorder. Whereas I've my experience is more with disordered eating, which is where there's a problem with eating, but it's not enough to fit the diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder but I mean if you think about it when you become pregnant you are going to put on weight and your body's going to change and there is a lot of there might be some thinking some unhelpful thought patterns around that and some unhelpful coping strategies or behavioral changes that can go alongside that so that's something that I would look at and you know work with the person to see you know what are your goals what would you like to work on and how we can normalize and validate that whether you have disordered eating or not or an eating disorder or not I think most women struggle with the concept of putting on weight and adapting to a new body image you know yeah especially in this sort of image conscious society that we we live yeah. in where everything's out yeah. there for everyone to see I mean do you find that people who have had a history of disordered eating or who are struggling with that does that tend to get exacerbated in that postnatal period? Or do you think it once they've had the baby, it tends to ease somewhat? I think it probably would even be antenatally because you're putting on weight and your body's changing. And then postnatally, once, you know, baby's here and your body is then adjusting and your your womb is obviously going back to the size it once was and there is obviously a, a, a time period that that takes and I think there is you just mentioned about society that there is this kind of um, pressure in society this bounce back culture that puts pressure on mums to be back in their skinny jeans at a certain point and stuff like that and it really places that emphasis so I think that both in pregnancy and postnatally, I think there was a kind of a, a risky period there for, for mums to be a lot more self-conscious about their weight or their body. It's fascinating how some women react to giving birth in a way that they sort of see their body as being miraculous. And it's like, whoa, my body can actually grow this human inside me and look what it can now do. I'm I'm breastfeeding, I'm producing milk. I'm, you know, it's extraordinary. It's just, it's miraculous. It's nothing short of it. Whereas other people freak out and they just want to, as you say, fit into their skinny jeans and bounce back and be this sort of like super skinny fit back in the gym within a matter of weeks. And it's raining in expectations. Yeah. And I think, again, it, that what the point you just made just goes to show that it's the interpretation of the body that is really influential. And the person who views it as miraculous is because they're viewing it in a way that you know, my body is doing what it's designed to do and it's going to grow and change. And, and I suppose there's a level level of acceptance with that. Whereas people who might struggle, is again, it's because their interpretation is that their body is bad or that it doesn't fit in with society or it needs to change. 
and that will then feed into the distress that they feel about their body. So it's very much down to the interpretation of the individual that's linked to the distress that they feel about how they look. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I assume, you know, your relationship with your partner or friends or family reactions, all sorts of things play into it. And if you don't have that strong sense of self, those are probably more heightened. Yeah. And I think that links back when you said about that strong sense of self, if we go back to what we were saying earlier about when someone has had a relatively stable life with quite healthy attachments and relationships they might have a more secure sense of self so feel less bothered by their body changing whereas compare that to someone who might have had difficult relationships or abusive relationships or they might have been bullied at school for their appearance they might be more likely to be bothered by their body changing because of their experiences of and the messages that they've learned about body and and stuff like that. Typically, how long do you work with a client and do you tend to get approached in that prenatal period by people or do most of your clients come postnatally? It depends, really. So I get clients who come to me. uh, I've got a new client who is trying for a baby. She's going through the IVF process. So she's literally right at the start of her journey. I get clients who are pregnant who they might have a sickness phobia or a needle phobia or just feeling more anxious about the pregnancy. And then I also get people in the postnatal period who, for example, have had a traumatic birth or they are struggling to adapt to motherhood. So it really isn't one specific phase. It's just whatever phase that that person is at. And the second thing I think you asked was about how long and I think it depends on the client and their past experiences and what their goals are. So I might have a client who, you know, they've had a lot going on in their life and they've been through a lot of stuff, but they don't really want to work on that. They just want to work on a a set problem, for example. So we would just do a really small piece of work on that. Whereas I might have someone that has, you know, for example, they're pregnant or they've just had a baby and it's reminded them of their really difficult childhood and they'd like to work on that. And that tends to be a, a more of a medium to long-term piece of work because it's going back to experiences in their early life and when their personality and belief system were kind of developing. So that tends to be the problems are a bit more ingrained and a bit, you know, a bit more resistant to change, but they can be changed. It just is a longer piece of work. And I'm assuming maybe incorrectly that in the case of childhood trauma and treating it via EMDR, those clients are less likely to return after having subsequent children, whereas those who might be more susceptible to pre or postnatal depression or anxiety might come back to you with subsequent births. Or is that not, does it not tend to be a pattern that do people tend to just go through it once or twice? And I think it depends on what what it brings up. But if someone comes in for like a piece of work related to a specific life event, for example, we would work on that and that tends to be resolved, particularly if we use an EMDR, but then they might come in again because something else has happened or they've had another difficult experience that they'd like to work on. But what I tend to get really is people who, especially more clients that have got that childhood trauma is that we would decide right at the beginning, what would you like to focus on in these sessions? If it links back to childhood trauma, you know, if the current problems, I mean, link back to childhood trauma, would you like us to work with that? Or would you like to just do a really um, select piece of work on the here and now and not 
let it connect back to past stuff. So I would always go with what does the client want? What do they need? And give them the options of doing a small piece of work or if it leads back to childhood stuff, then we, we've got that option of working on it if they want. Yeah, no, that answers exactly my question about EMDR. And then the second part of my question is whether people who have suffered once with pre or postnatal depression are then more likely to suffer from it when they have subsequent children yeah. or whether it's there's no pattern or correlation between the two. I think there is. I can't remember what the stats are, but if you've had perinatal anxiety or depression you are more at risk of developing it again and I think the more children you have and the more episodes you've had the more likely you are to experience perinatal anxiety and depression but what I would say is that when I had my first I obviously had the anxiety when I had my second I was a lot better and I didn't really need any support I was still a little bit anxious but it was okay with my third who's like two and a half now I didn't need any support but is that because I've had the therapy is that because I'm a therapist and I used strategies on myself I don't know but I don't think that it has to be like that do you see what I mean you can have people that kind of fall outside of that that they may have had an episode in the past but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are definitely going to have another episode if they have another child if you were to write a book which was a toolbox for expectant mothers and what they should do to try and prepare themselves for motherhood what would be the top five things that you would put in that so the first thing that I would say is that if find out about mental health signs and symptoms that can arise in the perinatal period and then obviously further into motherhood as well so I I actually run like a free antenatal class for mental health because I'm so passionate about letting people know that this is the kind of things to look out for if you're pregnant or you're postnatal these are the symptoms that can crop up or these are the behavioral changes or thought patterns that you might notice so definitely just educate yourself on the emotional side of things because I think we all go to our antenatal classes and maybe it's the hypnobirthing, which I'm not saying are not important because they, they really are valuable. But I think sometimes what's missed is that emotional side and also knowing what supports out there if you do struggle with anxiety or depression in that period. So who to contact and what organizations are available, which is I cover that in my free antenatal class. The other thing I would say is about finding your village because I genuinely believe in that phrase that it takes a village to raise a child so you know find your support system whether it is practical support emotional spiritual physical you know whatever the support is find your people that can really be your cheerleader that you can ring on a bad day and and just get that validation and that support and that understanding so that's number two. Oh, God, you put me on the spot. <laughs> what about openness and transparency with your partner about how, if you have a partner, how you're going to, I know, delegate and divide responsibilities once the birth's happened? And- yeah, I suppose, yeah, that's a good one, having that communication with your partner. You've just literally, with that point, have made me think about having realistic expectations of yourself, your partner, and parenthood, because... 
one of the things that I thought when I was a mum for the first time is that I had this lovely idea of I'm going to be on maternity leave and I can just sit and watch these women and chill out and you know it would be really cool and 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 it wasn't it was I was just on the go all the time and I had really unrealistic expectations of myself as well when I was quite manic you know trying to get things done and you know trying to be a really good mum and I think on my with my third I had a lot more realistic expectations of myself and I allowed myself to rest and to recover and stuff so definitely the communication but the the realistic expectations so what else would I say I guess self-care there's quite a there's a big component of it knowing what relaxes you and what calms you down and, and what you can do to self-soothe yeah absolutely yeah thank you for triggering <laughs> these in my head of you know because absolutely yeah so one of the things that I'm really passionate about with mums and that I'm doing a lot of in my own therapy is about learning how to soothe and calm myself because when we soothe and calm ourselves as mums or as parents, we parent differently and we are we tend to be calmer with our children and respond in a different way than if we're really kind of activated and dysregulated. So I really think that's a good point of really making a a note of what are my triggers but also what are the things that I can do to calm myself if I feel like I'm starting to become emotionally dysregulated Um, and that might be things like going for a walk or um, having a bath or doing some deep breathing doing some imagery and some kind of like visualization exercises to really help and calm your nervous system so definitely that is a that's a key one so doing research for this episode, I came across a new word and I love learning a new word, which was tocophobia, fear of giving birth. And I'm fascinated as to how you treat that. Okay, so you can treat it with CBT or EMDR. So what I would be looking at in tocophobia is, is there a previous birth trauma that is led to tocophobia? Because if you think about it, tocophobia is fear of giving birth. And if that person has given birth and it went really, really badly, it makes sense why they're going to develop tocophobia. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So with that particular scenario, again, I would talk to the client about CBT, EMDR and give them a choice. But if there is trauma from a previous birth, then we would work on that first and then come back to the present fear to see the impact on resolving the past. Because again, with EMDR, we're looking at current symptoms and problems are a result of unresolved past experiences. So if a current symptom or problem is tocophobia, and there is an unresolved past experience that's linked to that, we would resolve that first before coming back to the here and now and and seeing whether that in itself resolves the tocophobia. If it was a client who hadn't had a baby before and had tocophobia, I might be more inclined to use CBT and look at what are the thoughts about childbirth, what's linked to the fear. Because in CBT, we're looking at emotions are hugely linked to our thoughts and our interpretations. And if someone is fearful about something, it's probably because they are having catastrophic thoughts about that situation that is leading to the feeling of fear. So we would look at what are those catastrophic interpretations that that person has about childbirth 
and maybe doing a bit of work on those to see whether we can decatastrophize some of those thoughts. But also we could do behavioral things like it might be some graded exposure to childbirth. So hearing someone giving birth and then maybe watching someone giving birth like online or on YouTube or something and just exposing that person to the feared situation and allowing that anxiety to come down on its own. So there's different ways that we could work with the tocophobia depending on the client and their experiences and goals and preferences. So you've alluded to the strain that COVID's put on maternity nurses and maternal wards. Have you seen a surge in demand for your services since COVID? And is that constantly increasing? So I definitely don't think there's more demand because of COVID. I think there's more cases around perinatal trauma as a result of COVID. And, you know, and there's more people coming in because of, for example, what I mentioned earlier about having their partner is not allowed to come in until they're four centimetres dilated. So they're having to start the labour process on their own. And that has led to them developing um, unresolved feelings about their their experiences. Um, but I think there's always been a demand for perinatal mental health services. And I think that that's because we, we know more about it. We talk more about it. We know that it's not just postnatal depression that can happen because I think, again, everyone just talks about postnatal depression, but they don't talk about antenatal depression or antenatal anxiety, you know. And another thing as well is going back to what I was just saying about postnatal depression is quite often people are diagnosed with postnatal depression, but it's linked to trauma. You know, it's linked to their experience of giving birth and how they were made to feel or their pregnancy experience and how traumatic they may have found that. And they're being diagnosed with postnatal depression, but it actually is not that. Underneath that is a traumatic experience. Oh, well, Laura, it's been absolutely mind-opening talking to you today, and thank you for the incredible work you do. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258.